What's up, everybody? It's IBS Jesus coming at you guys live with the IBN College Football Podcast Week 8. You know, usually I have a witty intro, but um, due to licensing licensing, licensing issues um, and out of fear of being sued and I don't have any money, I had to cut out the intro. We'll have to come up with something else. So for right now, all you get is my voice. Marcus, are you there? This was Marcus. 804-0676. Are you there? Maybe it's not Marcus. I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to put him on mute. I'm going to unmute him one more time. Marcus, are you there? That's crazy. All right. So, I do not have my co-host right now, but we will work on it. Probably technical difficulties, you guys know. Blog talk, just be tripping sometimes. Anyway, we do have an exciting um, podcast to bring to you guys. There were uh, two key games out of our top ten picks um, last week. I'm going to recap the top ten that we had last week. And then, um, you know, as always, at the end of the show, the last 30 minutes, we will unveil the new top ten. Let me see if this is Marcus. Yo, can you hear me? Uh, Yeah, I can hear you now. All right, cool. Um, So, um is working on I'm trying to trying to update the uh the Facebook post is weird it won't let me edit it cuz I didn't put the number in there to call but I I'll, I'll fix it. Anyway, how was your weekend, bro? Man, it was a great weekend, man. Sit back, buck eyes is off, get to sit back, watch UGA take this slug, watch Texas taking that. <laughs> Cowboys had a bad weekend, but all in all, it was a good weekend. It was a pretty good bet. Yeah, you know, I don't usually extend bye week perks to college football, but considering how Saturday went for a couple teams, it's probably in Ohio State's best interest that they were able yeah. to exercise those bye week perks. All right, so um, let's get rolling here. Looking over our top ten last week, last week we ranked in our top ten. Coming in at number ten was Texas, number nine, Notre Dame, Number eight, Florida. Number seven, Wisconsin. Number six, Oklahoma. Uh, number five, Georgia. And then our top four last week was LSU at number four, Clemson at number three, Ohio State at number two, and then Alabama at number one. So we talked uh, in detail about the two key games of our top ten matchups last week. Uh, the one being Oklahoma and Texas, and then Florida and LSU. Uh, so before we even get into the kitty table uh, segment, let's let's get your thoughts on the uh, the first game, which was Oklahoma and Texas. How did you think that played out? You know, I, w- I was really impressed with, I think, actually Texas more so than Oklahoma. You know, I really thought that Oklahoma would be able to pull away with Jalen Hurst, CeeDee Lamb, Hazelwood, you know, in the receiving court they have and with Lincoln Riley. But, man, you know, a takeaway that I had is what I want to see which going forward in the season is I'm still not sold on Jalen Hurts as a passer. I mean, he had moments where, I mean, he looked good, but – I mean, his best throw of the game was on a flea flicker. And he's still a dynamic runner, and they're doing a lot in that offense. But And I don't think, you know, there's a team in the conference to really challenge him up front. Maybe Baylor, maybe TCU. But I think any other team in that conference, you know, they'll just run wild. But it was a good game, man. I think Texas – I don't know, maybe it's my sense. I was talking to Jeff about this, is that Texas was very conservative. You know, you're the underdog. You have nothing to lose. I thought Herman kind of played very close to the vest early on. And then just, you know, they did sit in there and take blow for blow with Oklahoma. But I was impressed with Texas, man, and Oklahoma did what they had to do. But and going forward, man, I'm still not sold on Jalen Hurts. I, I don't know. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm a hater, but it's just something there. And I'm like, man, I, I don't know. Going forward, I think they, they're going to have a couple hiccups. But Yeah, I am. Um... From a gambling perspective, I'm, I'm very grateful for Jalen Hurts because uh, I had checked his covering. <laughs> <laughs> but he, I mean, he took some steps back last week, um, and I was a bit surprised because I don't have a lot of respect for Texas secondary. They had some injuries out there too, um, and you had noted that uh, in the prior week. But it just seemed a little weird to me that that Oklahoma wasn't able to to exploit it 
um, as greatly as they should have been. And a lot of that did fall yeah. on Jalen and his throws, um, especially when you talk about the red zone turnover. Like that, that's just that's just bad, man. <laughs> you know, yeah, and um, really and like you said, there's not much competition in their conference. But uh, I think a team like uh, Oklahoma and even their fan base, they all have aspirations of, of bigger and better things. And if you put them against the other top three teams in the nation or whoever you think is the top three team in the nation right now, I think pretty much the consensus is uh, people probably say Alabama, Ohio State, LSU are the top three teams in the nation outside of whoever you want to put it forth. But let's say Oklahoma gets in in that fourth spot. They can't afford to have those mistakes against any of those three teams. And and I think that's no. what, what they need to be thinking about. Um, and I think that's something that – uh, Lincoln and, and Jalen have to really um, put an emphasis on in this matchup this week. Uh, and, and it's a good team to essentially get some reps against. West Virginia isn't expected to win, and it's like a 34-point spread. Um, but yeah. the execution down the stretch, especially in the red zone, is a necessity. Uh, their defense will not hold any of those offenses under 35 points probably. So they're going to have to score touchdowns and can't afford to turn the ball over yeah, Oklahoma, man. I mean, like you said, it's, that's that's that game plan anyway. You know, I think I think that defense is improved. I, I thought that that defense last year couldn't get stops, but I feel like this defense this year can get some stops and they played a little better. But like you said, man, going forward, I think they got some things they can clean up in the passing game. And for experience as a guy as Jalen, you know, is man to make those type of turnovers in the red zone and those type of turnovers in a big game just. I mean, I just didn't feel comfortable, you know, like like you said, it, it, thinking going forward to face, you know, Alabama, LSU, Clemson, Ohio State, you know, is, is he going to be good enough? And I, I'm still not still not sure of that. Yeah, and on the flip side, um, I mean, this is definitely a game that Texas can draw some um, some positive things from. I mean, you and I are probably more likely to talk like what we call coach speak. Like, just because you lose doesn't necessarily mean it's all bad. Um, you yeah. know, they, they had some, some positives, especially when you talk about the fact that they were missing guys in the secondary um, that they could take away from it. Uh, what, is, what is, like, the one thing that sticks out to you that Texas could take away from uh, this game? Man, confidence to show that, you know, you came out and, you you know, you hung with, you know, probably one of the top five, top six teams in the country, I think. And confidence and momentum to understand, hey, look, we're a little banged up and we still went out and we really challenged Oklahoma. So, I think that's their biggest takeaway, and I think also is, you know, Sam Ellinger, and he's just been Mr. Consistent, you know, and I think for as limited as he is, maybe in the passing game with the deep ball, but he's a very efficient quarterback. You know, he does a lot of good things in the run game. He makes good decisions. So, I mean, if you're Texas, like you said, the rest of your season is in front of you. I mean, I hate this, like, the best two-loss team. I mean, you still got two losses. You're foreign, too, but to say, hey, look, we lost to LSU at home, and we lost to Oklahoma, you know, in a Red River shootout. You went out, and you can still, you know, you have a chance to play Oklahoma again in the Big 12 championship game, and you see what happens. So, it's still a lot of football left to be played, and they got the season left in front of them. But, you know, maybe not the college football playoffs, but you still have a really successful season. Yeah, I think the, the takeaway that I I um I like for them is that despite their lack of uh, – I don't want to say talent on defense. They just they lack a premier pass rusher, man. They just lack yeah. they lack a good front four. Like if they had a good front, I really don't think it would matter as much. But watching that defense and watching how they play, I think a lot of the reason why they're so conservative is because they don't generate the pressure. Even if they if even if they run a blitz at somebody, I think it's a combination of fear that it'll be easy to spot the open man when you've got less people in coverage. And then the fact that they still don't get enough push up front to even really have effective blitz or stunt packages. Yeah. So it's, it's very it's very basic, um, and it just kind of drives me crazy when I'm watching them. But to like I said, it's kind of one of those you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Um, but I think one of the biggest takeaways is, is that, like you said, even though they lost to two teams, they lost by a score, basically. So they're yeah. close. They're close, but not quite there. Um, I would love to see them uh, go out this year. I don't know much about their recruiting, 
but really put an emphasis on like a stud up front in that defensive line. And and I really think that that would be the true game changer in a conference that's so pass heavy is if they could essentially have a couple people that can, can push the pocket and really make it uncomfortable for a lot of these teams. Um, I was a little disappointed in Herman's approach as well. Um, I'm used to seeing him be more aggressive in these big games. I don't know. I don't know what that was about. Maybe again, he just, thought with his personnel, they would just more or less bend but don't break and maybe play to hope that Jalen would make a mistake so they can kind of get a, get ahead. But it, like you said, it did seem a little conservative for a team that a lot of people didn't think stood a chance uh, to win in the first place. So um, hopefully they do get a second shot at them uh, later on in the year and, and, and we get a really good game like we did last year um, as yeah. well. So I look forward to that. Um Switching gears, I fully expected when you – I think it was you that posted the article about the fan calling in the bomb threat. I fully <laughs> expected that. I fully expected that to be our guy, Patrick, because he had the audacity <laughs> to say that Florida was going to hold LSU to under 27 points. Like, he'd never seen this LSU offense this year. And I was excited <laughs> for this game. It was a good game, and I was very excited to see on the biggest stage, because that was probably one of the most watched games of the year so far, but to see LSU, like, their coming out party with that offense, like, you, it's a good offense. You can't really stop it. You can't. You can slow it down, but you can't fully stop it. So you've got to score. You've got to play football. And if you think about it, that was a pretty fast tempo for LSU and Florida game. Yeah, I mean, to score, what, how many combined points? It was 42 to 28. So, you know, 70 yeah. points, man. I mean, and I, I was impressed with Florida, man. I mean, they lost, and, you know, it was a two-score game. But, man, I mean, Trask threw that interception down in the end zone. That was a killer. But, I mean, the offense looked pretty good. I, I think Dan Mullen, I thought at times he maybe was outsmarting himself. With I understand why he was putting Emory Jones in, but Trask was in a rhythm, man, and he was putting Emory Jones in and trying – I think – it seemed like, all right, look, if we game plan for this, you know, we must use it. But, man, I, I think we're in a new era of the SEC, man, where, you know, scoring 40 points, man, LSU, Bama, you know, and and now Florida, you know, that's, that's kind of the norm. Yeah, I, I like I posted in the group, I mean, hey, it's it's the new era, bro. You either get with it or you get left behind, you know. You got to <laughs> spread. You got to spread teams out in college, man. It's It just has to be done. There's too many – too many uh, athletes and too many possessions, uh, even with the, the fact that the clock stops every first down and stuff like that, like it adds up. And if you're not running tempo yeah. and you're not out here trying to trying to really force these teams to cover in space, you're missing out. You, you're selling yourself yeah. short. And, and I'm glad to see LSU finally figure that out. Uh, when we get to the kitty table, I've got a good rant for a team that needs to figure that out ASAP. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's just the new age, man. And I will say I was impressed with Trask. I, I'm finally a believer. I'm not on the Trask for Heisman uh, train, but I was very <laughs> impressed with his poise and uh, the execution um, in, in the face of adversity because Death Valley is not an easy place to play. And, I mean, you're talking about a game where they went in tied at halftime, right? It was like 21-21, I yeah. think. So, yep. I mean, that's 21-21. tough. This, this, that kid, that's tough, man. And for all the talk of, you know, LSU's defense, I, I really think there's a – there's something about the media when they latch on to something and then people pick it up, they run with it. Tempo is not bad for a defense. I don't care what nobody says. I don't think it's bad that the defense is, is playing behind a team that's moving the ball fast and, and playing with tempo because they're scoring. And for, for what it's worth, your defense just needs to be in shape. I mean, they just, yep. that's what I, I feel like they just need to be in shape. Like that, It's like uh, in the NBA now, people get more possessions because the game is faster, and they're like, oh, nobody plays defense. It's not necessarily true. And I feel like we're getting to that, that point in football where people are playing at such a pace, especially collegiately, that it's, it's not that a team who gives up 28 points a game doesn't have a good defense. It's just they've got so many possessions. I mean, yep. LSU could have scored – over 50 points. Like, it was that much uh, – it was, like, that that fast of a game. 
Um, and we're talking like a play here, play there as far as the execution, where the game could have really been blown out of proportion uh, for LSU, or it could have been just an a old-fashioned shootout that we're used to seeing from like the Big 12 days. But it was it's not that these kids on defense are not good or that tempo is bad. I really think it's just the, the transition of modern football. Everything's about pace. Everything's about spacing um, and, and exploiting the zone coverages because – I think right now we see a whole lot more zone because guys are scared to cover man-to-man because there's so many different route combinations. Uh, from an X and O standpoint, I think it's beautiful. I know some people don't embrace it yet, but like I said, get with it and you get left behind. LSU is a testament <laughs> to that. I mean, that it warmed my heart to see a game like that because, oh, my God, LSU Florida games put you to sleep, man, back in the day. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> so, uh Looking at looking at how tracks play and uh, how Florida um, came out and, and really showed out a little, um, who would you say is the true winner in this in this situation? I, regardless of the score, as far as the programs go, uh, is it a bigger storyline that LSU has now embraced this new offense and doing what they're doing, or is it a bigger storyline that it looks like Florida finally has a quarterback um, and an offense that can actually put up some points? Man, you know, I think for the, I think it has to be LSU. Listen, you know, Florida, they've been through a rough patch. But Florida, I mean, over, you know, time, just being the University of Florida, they've been an offensive-minded school. Like, I knew they, you know, they figured it out. I mean, you had a guy like Steve Spurrier, had guys like Urban Meyer, now you got a guy like Dan Mullen. It's going to take Dan some time. He's really, you know, this is just year two. And for Florida to already make this type of jump, I, I'm comfortable with them. But LSU, man, I mean, you know, talking about a school that we, you know, just say, man, they've wasted offensive talent. Now they're definitely getting the most, the most out of it, man, because, I mean, they've got three really good receivers. Joe Barrow is playing, like, arguably the number one pick in next year's draft. I mean, I think he's, you know, obviously the front runner for the Heisman currently, man, and to – to really have a guy like Ed Orgeron kind of embrace and understand and finally said, look, you know what, man, we have some incredible athletes and you're just going to have to outrun us, you know, and they're going to put those guys in. And Joe Burrow makes good decisions too, man. That's why I really like Joe. But, and, and for LSU, I mean, as great as it is, he beat Bama. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's really yeah. what this all boils down to, you know, and I feel like in the next couple of weeks, <clears throat> we're going to have some really big games and that's the storyline that's going to be building is just, LSU, man, and for as much as everyone is, you know, talking about the LSU offense and what they're currently doing, but is it good enough to beat Bama? And, you know, is really, is it, is it going to be their year this year? So, I mean, it was a good game, man, for uh, Florida, but definitely, man, LSU, I think that was a statement win to go on the road in Texas and to handle Florida at home. I, I thought, you know, that's arguably the two most impressive wins of the season. Yeah, I, I want to kind of touch on something that you were talking about too, um, um, and I think it's it's something that we need to to uh, run back to, and that's Burrow and his decision making, and as far as his draft stock, I I think that that will probably be highlighted as his best attribute right now. Um, if you look at the way LSU runs their offense, uh, even though it, it, it's spread, it's still uh, what people would call a conventional pro-style offense, what you see in the NFL. And the fact that he can make these reads, throw those quick slants, and, and has the ability to get those sideline throws as well, but he, he's precise with it. You know, when, when people play in zone, man, it doesn't matter. When he sees or identifies the open man, he's able to get the ball out of his hands very quick, avoiding pressure. And then just even his decision-making under duress. When he tucked it to run, he was committed. There was no hesitation. And it just seemed like every single decision make, uh, decision that he made was the right decision. And I, I really think that um, that'll be a highlighted thing when people start analyzing him and then talking about, you know, oh, he's probably um, going to be highlighted as a kid that's easy to coach. Because if you look at the transition from last year to this year, I mean, it's just it's like we're seeing a totally different person. Yeah. So um, I just I was gonna say I figured we would eventually get to that as the season progresses, um, like who we like to see at the next level. Yeah, I, I mean, I listen, Joe, man, I knew he was good. I knew he was really talented. I know, of course, you hear me talk about all the time that Urban Meyer chose J.T. Barrett over Joe Burrow, <laughs> Dwayne Haskins, but that's an argument for another day. 
And even for me, man, like, I mean, watching him compared to Dwayne Haskins, it looked like, man, Joe is good, but I would I never expected him to be this type of quarterback, you know, watching him in the competition between him and Dwayne Haskins. But like you said, man, his decision-making has been on point. And then he just got a certain swagger about him, man. He just got a certain amount of, like, confidence and cockiness. Man, I don't know if you see him on social media. He posing and flexing. He got the fours up. Like, yeah, I like Joe Barron. I like his personality. And I think, like you said, being a coachable guy, and all of that just comes in the park for LSU. You know, they're having their biggest moment, and let's see if they can keep the momentum going. So, yeah, I'm I'm quietly becoming an LSU supporter. I was very hard on them <laughs> at the beginning of the season, but I like what I see. I'm not opposed to saying that I could have been wrong, and and I obviously embrace change. So I wish them the best. Um, so we're getting to everybody's favorite segment. I know this is probably what everybody's been waiting to hear. And and like I said, if it wasn't for uh, copyright. Uh, infringement. We would have definitely had an intro for these Bamas, but this will have to do. <laughs> Let me see if I can, if we can hear it here. Georgia. <laughs> <Kitty table>. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Come on down, <laughs> Georgia. Man, in no scenario that I ran through my mind did I ever think that South Carolina would go to Athens and beat. Georgia. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. You know what? Hey, I know Holla probably don't listen to this. And I told him, like I said, it's just business, bro. It's just business at this point. But <laughs> all the talk, all the talk of Georgia's recruiting class, Kirby Smart, uh, even the, the subliminal shots thrown at, at Fields when he left, like all the talk, and this is what we get from Georgia. This is so Georgia. If people got a, a a phrase for Clemson, we definitely need to have a phrase for Georgia. Definitely have to have a phrase for Georgia. You're always this close. You're just this close with just one more, but you're not there. And I'm sick of hearing about them. I'm tired of it. I'm done. I'm gonna, I'm going to start treating Georgia exactly how I treat Texas. That's that's who you are. You are Southern Texas. You're the Texas yeah. of SEC. Like just cut it out. We don't want to hear it no more. You're not there. You're not. You don't belong at the big boy table. You're not a a big program because you keep having these stupid little losses. Like that's embarrassing. That is absolutely embarrassing. I I don't have any other way to describe it. It's just flat out embarrassing. It's pathetic. It's it's whatever big word. I wish I was Ronnie. I had his vocabulary because I would I would whatever is bad. That's what it is. It's just disgusting to see. And honestly, I don't see the difference between Kirby Hart and Jim Harbaugh at this point. Like, I mean, I don't even think Jim's even had an embarrassing loss like that at home against a team like that. That's the equivalent of Rutgers coming into to, to Michigan and winning. Like, that's in, South Carolina is trash, man. I know they play them tough, but they're still not good. They're three and three. I don't, yeah, they're three they're, and three. Man. No, but yeah. <laughs> well, I would say they probably are in the top fifty teams. Maybe God. it'd be close. But my thing with Georgia that's just been so disappointing. You know, it's been so bittersweet for me. I, I, I mean, I love this because you know Jay Holler is this UGA, you know, super fan, this SEC super fan, doughy ankles, anti Big Ten, and. I enjoy people seeing people eat humble pie. Sit down. Have a slice, Jay Holler. Like, it's got to hit. I know he's going to finagle and, oh, you know, I predicted. Come on, man. Sit down. Hold his L for me, man. Because it's like you said, this is a – and now, I've lived through bad losses, Iowa and Purdue, obviously, in Ohio State. So, I know how this happens. But the thing that with Georgia that's been so disappointing is Kirby Smart has an offensive identity and he also has an offensive issue because he, considering that you got a guy like Jake Fromm, who's going to be, you know, in the top half of quarterbacks taken in the NFL draft, you got guys like Robertson, you got guys like Kager, you got, you know, dominant wide receivers, you've got and a good set of tailbacks. You've got to find a way, man, to be able to score more than 17 points. Now, <clears throat> Jake Fromm threw the ball, what, 51 times and had three interceptions. And I think they got to find a way, man, to utilize their, you know, their best athletes because, I mean, 
it was just a bad performance. And honestly, I'm more disappointed. I'm just so, like, I don't even say disappointed is the word, but I think you got a point that we got to come to expect this from Georgia. Maybe this, like you said, it was Clemson in Georgia in or whatever. We got to find a phrase for this, but. You know, I mean, Kirby, at some man, point. to be yeah, it's just it's it's bad. It's a bad look, man. I mean, he's been Kirby has had some really blusters at a, as a head. Coach. I mean, he's had some unfortunate things. Obviously, you know, the deep ball from Tua in the um, national title game. But going down that stretch, him and Will Muschamp made the worst series of head. It was literally, you know, that meme when uh, whoever that is is it Spider Man pointing back and yeah, forth Spider Man they're pointing at each other. <laughs> Yeah, I swear, you know, I had that same thought. I turned it off. That's how disgusted I was. I mean, this is a key time in the game, and it it yeah. made me so mad. And I was like, you know yeah. what? I'm not my, my son is sitting here, and I'm not gonna sit here and and cuss at this TV like this. I hate bad play calling. I can't stand it. It was awful. And oh my god! The thing god. that was even worse, Will Muschamp first. You're gonna. He had a guy. Attempt a fifty or the fifty-eight yard field goal. I think his career yes. longest up until that point was forty-two <laughs> yards. Now you got three options at that point: you can kick the field goal, you can punt, or you can go for it on fourth and three. You're better off just going for it on fourth and three, or yes. even punting the ball. Why would you? That was the dumbest. Call. Why would you have a kid attempt a fifty-eight yard field goal? Then they come back down, Georgia. You know they drive, <laughs> and then Kirby decides to call it. Well, he had already wasted the timeout. Now you get nine seconds left on the game. It was just, oh, it was just a, a blunder of bad coaching errors down the stretch that guys like, I mean, these are experienced seasoned football. Will Muschamp and Kirby Smart, and it's just always, you know, time game management man is a critical part of being, you know, a head coach versus a coordinator. And I, I mean, that game, I, I, I just felt like everybody was trying to give it away. Nobody wanted to win it, even going into overtime, man. I, I don't understand what Georgia was doing. I don't understand, you know, I, I just don't understand how you can gather that massive amount of talent and not just let these guys play. So, I mean, how? you know, you got James Cook, Zamir White, DeAndre Swift. I, I don't understand how you can't put a formidable offense together. How bad do you have to be as a coach to take the talent that you have in Georgia, have home yep. field advantage, and lose to a you know, my son sleep to lose to a fucking idiot like Muschamp. <laughs> what? What? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding? Yeah. I bet you Nick Saban called up uh, Kirby and told him, "Don't ever use my name as a reference again on your resume. <laughs> Take it off. Take it off. That is embarrassing, yo. That is emb- that's embarrassing to to Saban's legacy, to Georgia's legacy, to Bama's legacy, to to everything. That's embarrassing to football. Yo. Like Muschamp shouldn't even have a job, man. Yeah, he's, he's he's exactly why I want to say that everything about sports is racist. How's he still a coach? Like, come on, he should be a coordinator or, or and you a, like a position coach. What the heck, they man? Went down to the third string quarterback. That's even worse. You're talking about the South Carolina, one of the worst offenses in the SEC. What middle of the pack? Literally half. With the starting guy, like Halinski is a good quarterback, but I mean, you're down to your third string quarterback, and. I, <laughs> A guy that, and you know, Muschamp said after the game, he wasn't even practicing. He had an injury and an oh illness, and he was kind of practicing off and on. So <laughs> it just looks really, really bad as a staff to lose that game, man. I know Kirby sat up there in the press conference and took the heat and took all the bullets, rightfully so, because you, that was just a bad performance from from the players and, and the coaching staff. And I mean, I'm gonna keep it a buck too, man. I remember, uh, I remember uh, our boy uh, From when he came out of uh, high school. He was highly, talented, and I think he was on one of those little shows. That, so plenty. Of things. Some of the best talent in the nation, like their recruiting classes, are very good, and yeah. and it's it's almost the carbon copy of what LSU is doing. Like they're literally holding these kids back, <laughs> and and I mean, from for what is worth, I think one of the big secrets is that Georgia doesn't have the same offensive line that they've had over the last couple of years either, and and yeah. from 
is having to to do a whole lot of waiting, um, and it's it's really annoying. So I'm I'm just I'm just disappointed, bro. Again, like I'm probably I'm probably gonna be on this next week too. The the first time I see Georgia back in the top ten, I'm gonna be talking trash on them again. Like, what are you, what are you here for? You just gonna mess it up? <laughs> Matter of fact, you don't even get the kitty table. We don't even have a jingle or anything for you. You're in a whole nother section of, yeah. of like you I think somebody house, somebody put him in a high chair. <laughs> That's what you're, you're in the high chair. You're not at the kitty table. You're in the high chair. They get you a bib and everything. Just just terrible, man. Um, yeah, it's a really bad look. Is there anybody else that you think deserves to be at the kitty table? Um, someone that's already there, but I think it's we were definitely way too quick to crown Nebraska and Scott Frost, and I know it seems like we you know beat on them every week now, but a lot of credit goes to PJ Fleck, man, and to what he's building at Minnesota. Minnesota six and zero for the first time in this point, I think, in like fifteen years, and um. They came out and they absolutely destroyed, you know, Nebraska. And I think <clears throat> their roles are, are reversed. I think people thought Minnesota would probably be where Nebraska is, and people thought Nebraska would probably be, you know, where Minnesota is, a team that's picking up a little momentum, ranked in the middle part of the season. It looks like, you know, a quality football team. Mm-hmm. But I knew it was going to be a process with Scott Frost, but, man, I mean, they just look really bad. I mean, they just got dominated. I know Taylor Martinez was, was out of the game, but, I mean, they just look like they lack depth. They were dominated at just every area of the game. And I'm just really surprised, man. I really expected a little more from the Nebraska program this year. But I don't want to beat them down too much. But that was just a game that was eye-opening to me. Like, damn, man. Like, Nebraska's not good. And, you know, I think people, you know, kind of we probably made a rush to judgment to, you know, crown Nebraska and Taylor Martinez and Scott Frost. Yeah, I'm, I'm – I think I'm numb to the disappointment that I have in Nebraska at this point. <laughs> like I'm just not even shocked anymore. I think I'm more shocked when they when they actually win or they're competitive than than anything else. Uh, I mean, Frost is running out of time, man. Like this this program ain't getting much better. Um, well, it's year two. I, it's year two. Let's, I don't want to put the panic meter on him yet. It is year two, but I think the thing that's going to be interesting is Nebraska for the first time now has a capable coach. The issue is, I think, with Nebraska, college football and the recruiting landscape especially has changed. Even with a guy like Scott Frost, can he maximize the University of Nebraska? They have some very, you know, they have some strategic disadvantages. The state of Nebraska just doesn't produce a lot of, you know, elite level or even just quality high school football players just from the size of the state. And, you know, you got to go south of Texas or west of California and just other states. And, I mean (laughs) – I thought a big a, a winning season, a good season, would really do a lot to you know for the momentum of the program. And it is year mm-hmm. two, but like you said, man, it's it's not looking good. And if this is what it's going to be at Nebraska, and I'm sure things will definitely get better, no doubt about that. But man, I mean, for year two, I think we expected a lot, and maybe we should maybe pump the brakes a little, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I'm just worried because like I look at. Um... I look at some of the other programs in, in that conference. That conference is is tough. It's tough, and yeah, the West is and tough. other teams and other teams are getting better. And Nebraska doesn't seem to be getting better, and it, it's a little worrisome for me. But like you said, maybe I am rushing the gun a little bit. I mean, I'm I'm quick to pull the trigger on a lot of people uh, as far as coaching goes, <laughs> especially especially when I when I see uh, what I consider to be a lack of. Um, just effort on the on the part of the players, I think, is a reflection of the coach and their prep. So I, I see a lot of that when I look at Nebraska, and it just bothers me a little. But maybe I'm rushing the gun. But um, Georgia, again, like I said, because of copyright issues, we don't have your fight song and we don't have any sound bites. But we will work on that. But don't think this is over because it's not. <laughs> I will be bringing this up again um, as the season progresses. Um, so, is there any games that you saw? Off the top of your head, they look like good bets this weekend. Um, Utah, Arizona State. Um, I like Arizona State to cover. It was, I think it was thirteen and a half. Hold on, I had it up on my bookie. Yep, uh, Utah's a thirteen and a half uh, favorite against Arizona State. I, I know Arizona State is a different team on the road, and also just week to week. But I like what Jaden Daniels has done. His growth. I know he's a, he's a freshman. He's looked really confident. And Herm Edwards, man, is assembled a really good staff. 
It's a young football team, and I, I'm taking stock in Arizona State. I think everybody, kind, you know, we, including myself, we all laughed at the Herm that was hired because we just thought, you know, Herm was so far removed from recruiting 18-year-old guys and running a college football program. But week to week, I think they played pretty solid defense in a, a conference where the defense, you know, can be up and down. I like Jay mm-hmm. Daniels and Utah. We hyped them at the beginning of the year. I know I did. But, I mean, they've just been so inconsistent on offense. And they haven't really seen that just jumped out to me and that could really, you know, excite me. Like, man, this is a Pac-12 favorite. So, that 13 and a half, I, I, I like the uh, the Sun Devils to cover that. Yeah, um, I um, was actually noting that to um, an Arizona State fan uh, the other day um, that as much as I joked about Hearn, um, I do see – where the, the difference is made in his experience and the staff that he's assembled because every game yep. that I've watched at Arizona State, when they go in in halftime, they come out, they come out way better. Or, or even if they're already in the lead, they just don't have much drop-off uh, after they're allowed to make adjustments. And I think that's been the biggest key is that this staff has, has adjusted so well uh, in-game and, um, you know, as far as their prep against a lot of these teams – and even though talent-wise, they're probably not one of the top talented teams in um, yeah. in the Pac-12, they are able to compete and still pull out wins uh, due to uh, the X's and O's portion. So, um, 13 is definitely hefty. I, I like that um, a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, um, one of the games, you know, they, you know, they got a boy on the staff, right? You know who's you know who also on the Arizona State staff? Who? Marvin Lewis. Oh yeah, he's the uh, yeah, that, he's that, like that the assistant advisor or whatever. <laughs> that loser, yeah, I I forgot about him for a second there. That loser. Um, I like the Marshall five and a half. Um, get, getting five and a half tomorrow at Florida Atlantic. I think FAU is is a little vulnerable. I think that's a um, I think that's just a, a offline man. I mean, unless Marshall's got some injuries, I haven't checked their roster yet. Unless they got some injuries, they're a pretty solid team, uh, especially in the Conference USA play. So um, yeah. I, I like that tomorrow. Um, looking at Saturday, a uh, couple couple games I got on upset alert. Uh, wishful thinking, Temple upset alert on SMU. Um, and then my Ooh. other upset alert was – Is it in No, it's not. That's why I said wishful thinking. <laughs> if it was in Philly, I'd be all over it. Uh, but one <laughs> – one other upset alert that I think is interesting as well is uh, Baylor visiting Oklahoma State. Um, Baylor's getting four points. That that Baylor Bears team has been quietly one of like just one of the most consistent teams yeah, in the Big Twelve. Yeah, they've, um, they've had and, some balls bounce their way, but yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah, and I and I really like their defense. Um, and their offense does have the ability to not only drive the ball, but I think one of their biggest keys is that they have the ability to control the clock with their offense. Like, they, they keep the ball um, based off of how they how they attack teams and then they emphasize um, the, the running and everything. So um, yeah. I, I really like them to kind of pull off an upset alert. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to upset alert uh, this game, but I will say a key matchup this weekend is the whiteout in, in Philly. God bless you, Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> God bless you, because I'm telling you, man. If he go, if he goes to Philly and they lose by 14 or more, I don't think there's anything anybody can do to save him, because he still got Ohio State. And this line, this line is running right now. Um, yeah, it's it, running pretty it's, fast. I, I've been yeah, watching it. It's it's up it's up like a point and a half, and people are still laying money on it. So I don't know if that's public or if that's just Sharps getting ahead of it because everybody knows Jim Harbaugh's record against the spread and outright uh, on the road. But, again, it's a whiteout. Penn State should be really hyped. They had a a slight hiccup last week, but they were able to beat Iowa on the road, and I I really think this is a game that they're looking forward to and getting hyped for. I will say this. Now, Penn State should, should win this game. I'm not sold on Penn State yeah. either. They've had two weeks in a row where they've had 17-point performances. That's a little concerning. Mm-hmm. But, like you said, going to a place like Happy Valley and a whiteout a Saturday night is not going to be easy. And if Michigan can't find a way to score, you know, more than, than 10 points to have that offense, you know, even look like it has the post, man, I'm going to tell you from somebody who's been to a whiteout 
and to see Ohio State and to see other elite teams play in that environment, it can crumble a team really fast. Really fast mm-hmm. because, like you know, if if you're trying to play tempo, you're trying to play up <clears throat> fast pace. The worst thing you can do is get three and outs, three and outs, three mm-hmm. and outs. And man, you know, the home crowd and Penn State make a big play. Like, I, I'm not a fan of you know the Wolverines this week. I mean, I'm never a fan of them. I should say that. But yeah, this weekend, man, I, I want to see how fast the Michigan faithful turn. Because like you said, this could be, I mean, really bad. Like you said, they still have Penn State and then Notre Dame next week. So you get Penn State and Notre Dame in back-to-back weeks. And we all know the game, the last game of the season, the game against Ohio State. So, I mean, if Shea Patterson, man, and that offense hasn't, you know, figured some things out this weekend, it, it, could, get, it could get pretty ugly. I, I, I don't think Penn State is a team that can blow them out. But it will just be one of those games, man, where Penn State is driving and driving and has control of the game. And it just looks like, you know, Michigan – I don't know where they go from this point on, man, because, I mean, you're so you're into, you know, the middle part of your season, the second half of your season. It's hard to expect that offense to change or that offense to be able to find an identity and, and adapt. But, I mean, maybe Harbaugh has something up his sleeve and maybe that's even the best performances for the middle and the end of the season. But like you said, man, it could, it could get really ugly in, in Happy Valley for the Wolverines. Yeah, it really could, man. Like I like I said, I I haven't looked at the statistics on it as far as like what people think is sharp money or what, but I mean it would seem like one of those situations that the public and the sharks might all like everybody's gonna fade Harbaugh at some point. Uh just because like I said, if you, the the numbers do not support any kind of Michigan backing whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so, and then like you, if you think about how they went to Wisconsin and look, and and like you said, you know firsthand, and and I've seen it at least from TV. Whiteout's tough, man. Whiteout's tough. Yeah, it's so, a tough environment. So uh, it, it remains to be seen if that offense is still in rhythm or not. They've had some some cupcake games, but then you look at last week's game and they let Illinois back in the game. So again, yeah. like, what, what do we get here? You know, like you were up like twenty eight, and then it was twenty eight twenty five. Like that's concerning. So um, yeah. it's hard to say. Um, I will say that um, there are other key curious games. Like I said, uh, Temple, SMU, uh, Baylor, Oklahoma State. The game and line that has me the angriest, which means that I'm probably wrong, but I'm being emotional right now. My boys from Tulane. Are going to Memphis, and this line is at fifty nine and a half for the over under. Put some respect on their offense, bro. That is terrible, and because I, I know Memphis yeah. scores at home, so you you must be telling me that Tulane ain't gonna score much, and I just think that's disrespectful. I understand that the I guess the aspect is that both teams can run the ball, but these are chunk play offenses, people. I, I think I honestly think that this line is wrong a little, probably by four or five points. So 59 and a half, like you're looking at two teams that even though they run the ball, they're very chunk play oriented. So that means they're going to get 15, 20 yard gains uh, more consistently than other two teams that would match up in a similar uh, fashion. So I I really feel like this is a little disrespectful and that you could be looking at at least 35 points in the first half, depending on how it plays out. And Memphis has the ability to throw the ball. Tulane also has the ability to throw the ball. And I I know firsthand I've witnessed Tulane um, and their ability to throw the ball against teams like Houston and, and other teams who, who run a little up-tempo and who are also considered prolific scoring teams. Um, they will score with those teams. Um, and I like this. Uh, I do like the Memphis four more than I like the Tulane four um, as far as Memphis being favorite, but the 59 and a half just sticks out to me. Like that's just off. Yeah. I don't know why. That's long. That's a little off. Um, don't bet Florida State this week. We never do good in, in Wake Forest. <laughs> so I'm actually cool with Wake Forest taking Wake Forest. So I mean, you never hear me go against my team publicly, even though I do privately. Uh, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. I'm not opposed to that. Last week I gave people my uh, upset special. Tennessee Volunteers, they won outright at 2-1. to one. This week, I'm telling you, no. They're 34.5-point <laughs> underdogs to Alabama. We are not that yeah. risky. We're not that risky. Um, another good game that people probably won't watch, Boise State visiting BYU. Yeah, it's going to be a good game. Yeah. And Bo- Boise, some weeks they're boring. Other weeks they're crazy. They played Hawaii, and it was a shootout. 
But then they play yeah. like uh, Air Force, who has the ability to score, and it was like a snooze fest. But um, my military academies are getting some respect now, man. Got a little Army bit. visiting Georgia State, favorite at six and a half. I actually don't mind the Georgia State line. I think Georgia State's been quietly one of the better, smaller schools against the spread. Got Air Force visiting Hawaii, and they're a three-point favorite. And then I got my boys at Navy. Um, who are they taking on? I saw it earlier. But um, they've got a game at home, and they're favored by 14. So service academies are getting some love here. And then another key game, and I want to get your opinion on this, Virginia hosting Duke. Duke is a three-point underdog. I, I mean, you know how I feel about UVA now. They, I, I mean, I finally turned the corner on them, and then, of course, they disappointed me. And now, I, I mean, I like Duke. I, I think that Duke is a quality football team. I think they're playing in Charlottesville, and UVA is a different team at home. But Duke is one of those teams, man, where you think that UVA is a talented team, but Duke finds ways to just hang in football games. It's teams – Teams that they're overmatched, they get blown out. But I, I will say Cutcliffe does a really good job of preparing those guys. But, I mean, I, I still like UVA. I still, I'm still really high on Bryce Perkins. I'm still really high on Bronco Mendenhall. But, overall, for the for the season, I am. But this weekend, yeah, I think Duke, man, that, that's, that could be a safe bet. That, that's an interesting uh, play at three points. Because, I mean, Duke, their offense just doesn't wow you. You know, and it's like, mm-hmm. man, where can I find? You know, and, and the same with UVA. They also, it's just, it could easily be a 17-21 type game. So, yeah, yeah, it's going to be an interesting play. Yeah, and I look forward to it. Um, I don't know if we were high on Duke at the beginning of the season, but they've been doing no, some good we things. Uh, <laughs> they were doing, they've been doing some good things and, and uh, could really shake up the the lowly ACC. All right, so we've got our buddy calling in. I remembered the number this time. Come on and join the conversation. Come get your neck slapped under 27. How you doing? Ah, uh, shut up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on in here. Marcus, you get hey, a pleasure. My man said under 27, bro. Yeah, I had to shut He was down. confident about it, too. He was confident. That's the that's the best part is the confidence that you had. You know, you were like, hey, hey I you got to stand behind yourself. You got to stand behind yeah, it. Yeah, but you ain't got to throw out random numbers because that was a random number. There's just <laughs> no way. Under 27. You actually uh, watch right. Florida. You actually watch Florida, and I know you see LSU because they're in your conference. All you SEC people watch SEC teams. So you really looked at – you took all that into consideration, and that was the random number that popped in your head, 27. Is that your age? Is that why it popped in your head? <laughs> No, I was thinking um, thinking it was going to be similar to the Auburn game. I was thinking they were going to make it. uh, I was thinking it was going to be a little similar to the Auburn game. Uh, The Auburn game? Joe Joe Burrows? Auburn? Like, how does that translate, man? It doesn't make any sense. Do you you watch – because you watch soccer. So when you watch Manchester United, do you think about uh, LA Galaxy? Because that's essentially what you just compared it to. (laughs) No, LA Galaxy might beat United right now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But, hey, give me give me your thoughts on the game though, because uh, you did tell me in private that you you came out um, with more respect for LSU. No, LSU. I wasn't. At first, I was like, yeah, the offense is good going in because I'm like, they beat Texas, and no one really respects Texas's defense, so they didn't really beat anybody else until they had to play Florida, who had a respectable defense, so. It was it was really kind of hard to buy into it at first, but no, LSU was legitimately national championship contender. Great, like that that team scares me. I do not want to see them again. <laughs> but um, now they, they are like, pretty good. But um, I actually I learned a lot about both teams. Like LSU, their defense is not as bad as people think it is. They can still get some stops. They can still play. Yeah, they can get some stops too. Yeah, they can go up to – they can get a stop or two when they need to. When they – like, when they're back to the wall, they can dig their heels in and just say, nah, we can't do this no more. <laughs> also, um, I was actually impressed by how uh, Draft played on the road in Death Valley. A per se night had a 310-yard performance, three touchdowns. Um, the moment didn't look too big for him. Um, and it wasn't – it was entertaining. It wasn't a beatdown. They didn't get hit with the beat-em-down game. 
Um, so I, I think I think both teams are a little bit better than we both thought, than we all thought. Yeah. Um, so I think it was interesting um, looking at how the committee uh, voted in regards because that game I think was on a lot of people's mind um, when they when they cast their votes, and it's interesting yeah. how they view the loss for Florida and how um, they viewed the win for uh, LSU in regards to how much how much uh, it boosted LSU and how much it dropped um, Florida. But I, I think there was a, a mutual respect for the level of competition um, that Florida took on and the fact that they were in Death Valley. I, I really think that people took that in consideration. So I'm actually okay it, a little with the ranking. Yeah, it was a closer um, game than what we they thought. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like looking at that game, because if Trask does not throw that interception in the end zone, you're talking about 35, 35 yeah. in the fourth. Yeah, that's a t- that was a really the back breaking moment. That I, I knew that I was waiting for it to happen on either side. I didn't know, you know, it would be Trask, but man, that was a back breaker. Yeah, yeah and like if he doesn't throw that, that's 35, 35 at what, like nine minutes to go in the fourth. Yep. Yeah, I actually was talking yeah. to. Um, I was talking to Chase about that, um, and I told him I was—I mean, essentially, I was calculating that into my spread. <laughs> like I was anticipating him throwing an interception that would eventually lead to a turnover, yeah. and that would help me cover. And and it luckily it played out for me. Um, but I mean, that's usually what you get with a young QB from time to time in those situations. But like I said, I gotta give him some props. He didn't play too too bad. We've only got no, about ten minutes left. He played a really good game. Yeah. We've only got about 10 minutes left, so I'm going to go ahead and we'll go through this list and unveil it and then get you guys' thoughts. All right, so um, last week I read off um, our list from last week earlier in the show just to give you guys a refresher. Last week at number 10 we had Texas. At number 9 we had Notre Dame. Number 8 was Florida. Number seven was Wisconsin. Number six, Oklahoma. Number five, Georgia. Top four last week, LSU number four, Clemson number three, Ohio State number two, and Bama number one. All right, so the new list coming in, our top ten teams. Coming in at number ten, I do not agree, but number ten, Georgia. Uh, Coming in at number nine, Florida. Coming in at number eight is Notre Dame. A newcomer at number seven is Penn State. Uh, Number six is Wisconsin. Number five is Clemson. And now our top four. Number four this week is Oklahoma. Uh, Coming in at number three with two first place votes is Ohio State. Uh, Number two with five first place votes, Alabama. And the new number one team in the nation, according to our committee, with five first-place votes was LSU. Um, I will say LSU and Bama truly tied in first-place votes, but where it differed was that pretty much every person that voted out of our 12 voters, I don't think anybody had LSU uh, lower than number two, and that was essentially what won it for them. Somebody had Bama at number three, and it was like a one-point difference in the total. Mm -hmm. So what do you think, Marcus? Georgia at number 10, I'm okay with that. I think Georgia still controls their destiny. I think if they win, you know, now that game against Florida is going to be really interesting, but if they control their destiny, you know, they can they can right the ship. Um, I think Penn State is about right at seven. The top four is always interesting. I, I think LSU, are they the best team in the country? That's arguable. Have they had the best performance and the best wins in the country? Absolutely. And I'm okay with them being number one. Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma. That's kind of, you know, every week, week to week, that's just going to be four, five, six in some random order. So I think that's, that's about right. I think I'm okay with LSU being number one. Um, I want to see, you know, going forward, obviously Alabama and LSU are going to play each other. Oklahoma has a couple big games, Ohio State and Clemson, you know, going forward. Well, maybe not Clemson, but it's going to be, you know, interesting for me. And that just from four to, like, six or seven, because now we're starting to get to the point where I think after number seven, after Penn State, I think nobody else is really in the national championship discussion. I think Bama, LSU, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Wisconsin, Penn State, they're, I think they're the seven that are probably 
in one tier. And then from there, you can go Georgia, Notre Dame, Florida, Auburn, maybe an Oregon or, you know, whoever you feel in that second, that second tier. So it's going to be interesting week to week to see how Georgia continues to climb and, you know, really what teams in the big four kind of, you know, make a mistake and, and, and lose. I feel like they disrespecting Wisconsin a little bit, but I, I, I get it. I get it. They're not, they're not, they're not a mainstream team per se, <laughs> but they've been playing really I good think ball. Thing, and I feel can like they, they just carry more weight. I, I, I really yeah, feel like Wisconsin be should be higher than Clemson. Can they beat Ohio State? Eh. I mean, it shouldn't <laughs> factor into their week-to-week rankings, but I think that's how yeah. people just ultimately look at it like, Man, Wisconsin's really, really good, but we've seen this before. They're mm-hmm. they're built to win at the line of scrimmage, and when they can't do that, it becomes a challenge for them. And the next thing you know, teams with a lot of speed can just really jump on them, and and you know because they're not built to come back from behind. If they come mm-hmm. into the horseshoe, get down behind. I mean, ten points isn't a lot, but when they have to, you know, change the play calling a little bit, I think that's kind of how people are viewing Wisconsin. It's like, yeah. They win some games. Jonathan Taylor's great. They run the ball. We know exactly what Wisconsin is. So going forward, I think people are just like, you know what? I'm 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 not sold. And and, and I've said this too that if Alabama or Ohio State or Clemson have had the type of performances, regardless of who they play, you can't control that. Regardless mm-hmm. of all of that, it's just that I think if they were another team, yeah, you're probably right. They're definitely in the top the top four for sure. The top three or four teams in the country for sure. All right, so Patrick, I'm gonna let you get get your last say off because I know you had some complaints about the rankings. Uh, go ahead and tell us what you don't like and what you want to change. Um, I still put Notre Dame, Notre Dame around ten. Um, slide Oregon up to ninth, and yeah, Georgia has to be eleventh. You can't lose to a team that was one loss away from equaling Tennessee. No, at home. Yeah. They, they Rick James, Joe Couch. No. <laughs> no, no, oh, you do man. not lose to Will Muschamp. Do you know what Will Muschamp's idea of offense is? Put a bunch of people out there like flag football and hope they do something. Yep, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like like play some defense. You would he know that. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was the most miserable four years. Like all he does is make it's flag football offense, and we gonna play some defense and play not to lose. He plays on the back heels. You can't lose to somebody who plays on the back heels already. No. Also, yeah. let's – I will say the one thing about the Georgia loss is Georgia – That's not, I don't feel like that's not just a bad game from them, but that's also like their game, their game plan failing them to a T. Yeah. Because the whole thing about Georgia is they're not, they're not meant to – Fromm is not meant to throw that ball that foot over 20 times. He is not. Also, and it's weird because they have good receivers, but he is not meant to throw that ball that much. They they have to run that ball at least 50, 60 times a game. And when South Carolina kind of took that away from him, you got Fromm out here throwing around like the sprinkler faucet out in the front yard, seeing which way they was going. Yeah. And so, so, Pat, I hate to cut you off because we got one more caller coming, but I just want to know, your scouting report on Georgia is so accurate. How in the world were you so off about LSU? <laughs> exactly. Got them all. All right, here we go. 703-9136. We all know Saturday who night. Go ahead. Saturday night, the whiteout is fading to black by the maze and blue attack. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. What's up, fellas? What's good? What's up? What's up, man? So you feeling confident. You ready to go. You feeling good. Yeah, man. Feeling good. I don't, I don't, I don't deal with pedophiles, bro. I'm feeling good. We knocking them out. Wow. <laughs> this is a family-friendly show, bro. Hey man, we call it the kitty table, but not when it comes to Penn State, bro. Nah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one. All right, so look, look, Akeem, because we've done this before, bro. We've done this before. So when Michigan loses, is this over? Is it? Is it done? Hmm. Not for this year. Two losses not gonna get him in the playoffs. So I probably say yeah. Okay. How's your view on? 
how's your view on Jim Harbaugh though? Are you done with Jim? I, nah, man. Like like I said, man. Beforehand, like I said before, man. We we were in the bottom of the barrel of the dumps, man. When before he showed up, he's won ten games. What through the last four years? Right now, yep. that's progress to me. That's progress to me. But eventually, like I said, eventually we're gonna have to beat Ohio State to get to where we really need to go. But other than that, man, look, I'm I'm cool. Like I said, I I'm cool on hardball. But hey, if if it if it's not meant to be, hey, so be it. But I'm confident, man. So. I don't, you know, I don't feel like I you're that confident. Maybe, just maybe, <laughs> <laughs> just maybe this isn't a Jim Harbaugh problem, and maybe it's a Shea Patterson problem. I don't think he's good. I don't think he's good at all. He just guess they, what? Guess what I'm gonna say to that. Guess what I'm gonna say to that. Jim took Shea. Jim chose Shea. So if Shea is a problem, then Jim is a problem. You shouldn't have chosen. You literally picked him. He came to the school. And now it's an issue. That means you. That's your fault. That's your fault. Yeah, that's facts. That's facts. So, I mean, it, it all is to me is always gonna fall back on Harbaugh, man. The talent is there. So at the end of the day, it's always gonna fall back fall back on him. And I know people are like, oh, you got a vendetta. I mean, I do, but still, I'm gonna keep it a buck. If he does something good, then I'll give him credit. But. Now, King, I don't know if you thought about this, but, man, to go from Penn State and Notre Dame next week, that's two, That's a tough two-game stretch. Yeah, man, this is basically really – that playoff really starts Saturday, real talk. Yep. Mm-hmm. If, they can, if they can somehow knock out, knock out these two, I don't see how we could move into the top ten maybe even further. But for, I'm going to start slow. I'm going to start with Saturday. I'm real confident <laughs> about Saturday. So, okay. All right. Well, look. If y'all, if y'all win, if y'all win Saturday, I'll let you host the show. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't get banned out there. Don't do that. I'm putting put, put the show on the line, Marcus. <laughs> All right. Hey, look. At the end of the day, the game got to be played. As much as we rag on bad coaches, it ain't like Franklin is a mastermind when it comes to game management either. So we might end up with another Kirby Smart and, and Muschamp uh, ordeal at the end. See who's going to mess it up the worst. And, that, and that'll be the loser. <laughs> yeah, because, like, Georgia's funny to me, man. Because I like, I like Georgia as a program, but my thing is your three biggest losses were in your home state, man. You had a chance yep. to win the national championship in your home state, win the SEC championship the next year in your home <laughs> yep. state, and then lose this game that really they shouldn't have lost in their home state. I mean, come on, man. Something's got to give there, man. I think Michigan, the way I look at, it, uh, look at Georgia, they remind me of a Michigan South, really. Yeah, I, I said that too. That's what he said. That's what he said. That's yeah. what, uh, that's what, that's what, yeah, that's man. What that was wild to me when I saw that game. I'm like, dang, man. I've seen this type of offense before. That doesn't look good. <laughs> that's exactly what I said. Hey, look, man. Thanks for calling. Hopefully, hopefully next week we can get you in um a little earlier. No, no, it's good, fellas, man. I just wanted to chime in real quick, see what's going on with the with the show, and just, uh, just send my shout-outs, man. <laughs> and, of course, you know you made the show with your kitty table jingle. We appreciate your contributions. Oh, no <laughs> doubt, man. Always. Anytime, man. Anytime, man. I'll talk to All you, right, fellas. Take, take care. All right, man. All right, so we, we covered some key games. We, we did spend a lot of time talking about last week because um, as we get further into the season, these key matchups, not only with – our ranking of top 10, but also in general with the playoff committee, the actual playoff committee, um, what they're viewing and so forth. When we do get these big games, like next week, we'll probably spend a lot of time dissecting Penn State, Michigan. Um, I think it's really key um, that we, we definitely put some emphasis on these high, uh, these high time uh, games. Sorry, a little distracting there. Anyway, Marcus, thank you again for calling and, and all that you do for no the doubt. show. Um, I'll let you have the parting words um, because this is a big week for Ohio State and the and Big Ten in general. Man, you know, I think for us, man, we're going to Northwestern. It's going to be a, a, a snooze fest. It's a Friday night game, which is, I, I think, is a bad idea. But like you said, man, it's the play. It started. This is the second half of the season, and it really starts to play for a lot of teams, and not just in the Big Ten. 
but you look at around the country and we're going to see how Georgia responds, how Florida responds. LSU has big games going forward, man. So this weekend is kind of a snooze fest, but next weekend you're going to have Ohio State, Wisconsin, Notre Dame, Michigan, some really big-time games. So let's get through this one without any Purdue or Iowa-type games, and, and next weekend, <laughs> you know, we'll have a chance to really cover the bigger games. Yeah, it's 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 getting there. It's getting there. Uh, college yep. football is definitely picking up. Again, we're in week eight of the podcast and week eight of uh, college football. So um, we've only got a couple more weeks, like a month left, basically. And then um, yeah. it's gonna get it's gonna get real for real. All right. Um, so again, thanks, Marcus, for calling in. Uh, Akeem and Patrick, as always, we always appreciate you guys calling in and contributing. Um, make sure you guys check us out next week on week nine. Um, we'll unveil our top 10 again. And then also as we get further down, we'll start talking about uh, bold predictions and expectations as well. This has been the IBN College Football Podcast for Week 8, and we're signing off. Peace.